All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you here from New York City on the 17th day of October 2017. Do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, also, like to remind you, I'm the Editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, and you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York City, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, uh, during normal work hours here in New York. I'd also like to encourage you to uh, consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, very excellent letter. We hope to have Chen on this show sometime in the near future. He's traveling this weekend. Uh, this week, I should say, should be with us uh, hopefully sometime very soon. Uh, he turned uh, his he turned a five thousand four hundred dollar investment into two and a half million over a ten year period. Pretty darn good, I'd say. I'd like to do that well myself. And well, we are doing quite well in some ways, for sure. Thanks, in no small part, to one of our sponsors, Novo Resources. We'll be talking a little bit more about Novo with one of our guests, John Kaiser, today. John will talk about Novo. He visited the project, writes about it, has recommended it now to his subscribers. Uh, and he also, John is an out-of-the-box thinker, much as uh, Quentin Henning is, and he'll be here to talk a little bit about not only Novo, but another idea that he has that you might find interesting. We'll be talking to Eric Coffin as well. Um, I'm telling you, if there's anybody that can look at an early exploration project and sort of size up its potential, uh, and who's done a wonderful job for his subscribers as well, it's Eric Coffin. Eric will be with me at about half past the hour today. Uh, maybe about 25 minutes before the before the hour. But uh, right now I want to tell you uh, that I'm really pleased to tell you that uh, Michael Oliver is with me. Michael, just uh, good to have you with me again. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Michael, let me just uh, remind my subscribers who made this show possible today economically. Uh, our sponsors for today's show, New Range Gold Corp., Klondike Gold Corp., RN Resources, Novo Resources, and Genesis Metals Corp. So, Michael, uh, you know, we tell us a little bit about the markets here. You, you've made these major calls going back, and they're all sort of coming to fruition now. Uh, more or less, as you, as you expected, them, what you call your major tectonics, major markets. I mean, the one that seems to be most resistive probably is the equity market. The S&P 500 just doesn't seem to, mm-hmm. just doesn't want to seem, seem to get kicked to the curve at all. It really is hanging in there. But as we, uh, we're now in the last quarter of this year, heading into 2018 in the not-too-distant future, what are your thoughts on these major markets now? Well, I think the uh, precious metals have, have led the way. Gold especially has 
via all of our long-term momentum metrics, have broken out of virtually anything we can define as a resistance level or a breakout hurdle. And all the congestion phases we're getting now, like the $10, $15 pullback we just had after a $70, $60 run-up, uh, we're on either side of 1300 which is a, an interesting area because our recent high was uh, intraday was above 1350 uh, but we closed that week, it was like six weeks ago, about 1340-something. If we go back to 1350, again, they're gone because uh, the price charts will engage at that point. Uh, now, that, they'll, they'll turn bullish. Anybody looking at a price chart going back several years, they'll say, my gosh, godness, we're breaking out of a huge base that goes back yeah. several years. Uh, momentum's already done that. So I'm fairly resigned that gold is, is in a safe place. Even if it seems to coil up and twist and turn a bit, it's, it's not 1100s, it's not 12s, it's now you know, either side of 13. So relax on that issue. Uh, I think the gold miners will follow gold, you know, period. So you know, mm-hmm. whatever gold does, they're coming too, and they're going to lead the way ultimately. So um, that doesn't bother me. The commodity complex has been a mixed bag for the last year and a half. Last year we had a good surge in oil, and we're still getting one. I think we've got more this year probably. Uh, the grains have laid in the weeds. <laughs> and the grains look to me, and cattle as well, the food, food markets, in other words, look to me to be the potential explosive segment of the commodity complex next year. They could engage this year, but it would require, uh, oh, call it uh, another 30 cents higher and 40 cents higher in soybeans where they are now, mm-hmm. uh, 20, 30 cents higher in wheat and corn between now and the end of the year. Or they can wait around till early next year, and they're going to break out a massive annual momentum basis, in which case I think the grains will suddenly come to life in a way that will shock people and also contribute, therefore, to the Bloomberg Commodity Index going up. So I think the commodity sector is, is in transition. Gold has led the way. You're ahead of everybody else. Oil's behaving. You know, it was 26. It's now 52. Uh, let's go to the bonds. This is where I think the, one of the big moves next year is going to be. First off, we've already broken annual momentum in T-bonds and credible initial annual momentum support structures in the JGB, Japanese government bonds, and the German bunds. These are mm-hmm. both all traded in the futures markets. So they're broken and they're wounded, but there's a floor on their annual momentum charts that anybody could see. If they go to our reports for a subscriber, they see these things. It doesn't look like the price charts, which are up there. It's flat, and it's been flat for seven, eight years on these oscillators, and they look like they're ready to break. And if they break, that means price down, yields up. And I don't care what Mr. Draghi wants, what his intentions are, uh, he's going he's to get higher rates. And they look like the upside-down version, top-down version of what grains look like coming up from the bottom. So that would make some sense, wouldn't it? Uh, in other words, you get a food price explosion, which is the part of commodities that is not performed, but looks like it's ready to. And that will upset people, uh, even the central banks. And you've got the debt markets, the government debt markets, looking exceptionally toppy for another major leg down. And I think that next major leg down in the debt markets is the one that's really going to upset developed market stock indices. There was the S&Ps and the DAXs of the world uh, will be upset when that occurs. Now, it could be that the stock market, our stock market, the European stock market, Japanese, not the emerging, they're already up and positive, uh, but the developed stock markets quite often are, pardon me, dumb, and they respond last to the realities that anybody can usually see elsewhere. Uh, Example being in 2008, the housing market, housing stocks, and bank stocks were in total state of collapse for three quarters of a year before the S&P finally said, oops. Uh, so 
Yeah. It's, it, I, it's the nature of reality. Uh, but I, I see the, the asset class shift changing, and I think the one thing that will help gold at this point going forward is that first sharp wobble in stocks. I think that will shake some money loose from the equity side that will seek a new home. And if you look at it carefully and measure it carefully, you'll see that gold and the S&P are neck and neck. One month, S&P is up more on the year than gold. Next month, gold's up more on the year than the S&P. They've been alternating all year. Mm-hmm. S&P, last I looked, was up 14%, gold up 13% on the year. So it's not like gold isn't performing well. Uh, and, and money, smart money will start to move, I think, into gold once the S&P rattles their confidence. All right. Well, that's sort of, a, I guess, the way you're seeing it at this point mm-hmm. in time as we, as we round out this year. Uh, I should mention to our listeners, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. And, Michael, I believe you're, uh, you're headed out to the West Coast for a conference. Is that right now? Well, uh, yeah, Real Vision TV and Aspen Trading are putting on an investor's roundtable uh, at a resort in uh, Oregon for three days. And, and I was invited as a speaker and uh, some other Good, good folks are out there. Bill Fleckenstein's going to be there, and uh, right, right, Grant Williams right. of Real Vision and so forth. It should be a relaxing three days. Uh, I could use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, and, uh, but we're very grateful that you uh, you share your wisdom with our listeners. I, I know there are some people that actually, if you're not with us for a couple of weeks in a row, they start to suffer from uh, withdrawal symptoms. So uh, I, I think that's a good thing. I think they... Well, but it's a good thing because what you're giving them is positive and it's been very helpful. It wouldn't be a good thing. My main if, uh, word right now would just be patience. I, you know, we, patience. we could waffle around through the end of the year. It's possible. But I think next year is going to be the next big jolt. And I would look at grains upside and debt markets downside as the major factors. All right. We'll keep that in mind and we'll certainly uh, hope, hope to be chatting with you on an ongoing basis as these markets unfold. Um, always, always fascinating, Michael. Thank you so much Thank for you, being Jay. with us today. Bye-bye. All- All right, folks. Well, John Kaiser is going to be with us uh, right after the break. And John's going to have some comments on a very exciting press release from Novo Resources that just came out this morning. uh, Caused the stock to do a turnaround, uh, rising very dramatically today. Uh, He also has another idea he's going to talk to us about. And then after that, we'll be talking to Eric Coffin in the last segment of today's show. Eric has some very interesting investment ideas on the uh, exploration front as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Kaiser. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project, located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. 
New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Hard times and good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for a second week in a row, John Kaiser. John uh, is an independent analyst uh, based in San Francisco. He writes a newsletter, has done so for many years. He's a friend of mine. Uh, we meet up at a lot of gold shows, various uh, investment shows, and I will be meeting up with John again in a couple of weeks, three, four weeks from now, uh, at the Metals Investor Forum uh, in Vancouver. And um, so thanks for joining me again, John. It's really good to have you back again this week. It's a pleasure to be back so soon. It is. Um, it's good to have you here because uh, you have made a, a lot of, I think, a lot of, um, well, you've, you've really studied this Novo story very, very carefully since you decided to hone in on it. Uh, you know, you're, you're smarter than I am, John, because I wasted, I wouldn't say wasted. It, it's turning out not to be a waste, but I was in it much earlier than you at a time when there was uh, not a lot to be excited about, I suppose. But uh, you picked the right time to get in on this and start looking at it very carefully. Uh, and you have some very, I think, very very well thought out, very informed information. You spent some time with Quinton on the project. Uh, and I think you've studied this, uh, the science of this, as well as anybody I know. So I want to ask you to comment today uh, on today's press release, which uh, was headed out, uh, headed up by Novo. They, uh, the headline for the co- for the press release: Core drilling supports strong continuity of conglomerates at Purdy's Bay at Purdy's Reward. Uh, what can you summarize, maybe for our listeners, uh, the press release and what your thoughts are on it, John? Well, what they've uh, put out is that they've uh, completed uh, holds on a 50 meter grid in a 400 by 200 meter uh, footprint. Uh, uh, they've uh, intersected the conglomerate beds with thicknesses of 4 four to 15 meters in true thickness, and that's important, true thickness, because you're, you, you're, these things are fairly shallow dipping, and what you see exposed at surface uh, can look a lot wider than it actually is. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just doing some basic calculations uh, uh, for each vertical depth of the uh, conglomerate bed, that's about 200,000 uh, tons of uh, rock for this particular footprint that they've outlined uh, and uh, uh, in terms of this 4 to 15 meter we're looking at 800,000 to 3 million tons of rock 
that they will soon be assessing with a large diameter drill. Now, one mm-hmm. of the interesting things that they have pointed out is that they have uh, observed uh, uh, pyritic, uh, buck, buckshot pyritic pyrite uh, within the uh, conglomerate bed, the matrix. And that's a key part of the whole with waters and the reef scenario, uh, evidence that there was no oxygen in the air and uh, that this stuff uh, likely has precipitated onto the seabed floor. They continue to point out that uh, everything has always been found in these large class at the bottom of the conglomerate beds. So they further fleshed out this idea that we're dealing with a 3 billion year old basement of uh, granitic greenstone rocks. And the first layer is this conglomerate bed and that uh, uh, there's a Mount Roll basalt cap shielding it, protecting it. And the question becomes, how far down dip are we going to go? We know we've got eight kilometers of daylighting uh, conglomerate beds where the fossickers have been picking up uh, gold. So, so today's news really starts fleshing out that, uh, that down dip potential for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, how much down dip? Uh, you, what, what did you say again that uh, dimension was? Uh, what was it? Uh? So, so the, the grid is along 400 meters of strike and uh-huh. hundred meters of, of depth and uh, depth. Okay. they're only like maybe 50, 50 meters deep encountering it. So in this area here, it's conceivable that you would simply strip off the, the basalt rock on top mm-hmm. and mine these conglomerate beds, you know, strip, strip mine them. So the, this upcoming round of uh, 17 and a half inch large diameter drill hole is going to be really important because we got that fantastic, uh, two ounce uh, per per ton gold in that one two meter by two meter pit. But that's just one data point. Yes. Uh, we have evidence of a whole string of these things. You know, we, we got that great Denver show uh, a week ago uh, showing that the stuff is uh, all over the place in these beds. But we no- need to start seeing grades. They've got at least six trenches dug where they are extracting 500 to 1,000 uh, kilo uh, samples that they'll be processing with the Steiner protocol, uh, mm-hmm. and that should res- hopefully that results in a news release very similar to the one we got in in early August. But the next important thing is when they step down and start getting uh, you know about 200 meters down dip, get that machine in the percussion machine and get these similar sized uh, uh, bulk samples. Are we going to see similar grades? Because there's one crowd of people that arguing that. But what you're really seeing here is uh, sort of some sort of super gene enrichment phenomenon and that uh, what you have is this great ribbon uh, snaking 100 kilometers across the northern Hildra. <laughs> but as soon as you start tra- tracing it down dip, it's just going to fizzle out because uh, this is all a tropical weathering type of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So overcoming that hurdle of skepticism is going to be what we'll find out uh, between now and the end of the year. So, John, you when they do this uh, with these, I guess, 18-inch diameter drill drills, the wide percussion drills, you we we probably will get to learn something about the nugget. Hopefully, it picks up some nuggets. Uh, also, whether or not there's some um, fine grain gold in there as well, probably. Yeah. So, so this, this this is like a giant RC RC rig, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 18 inches uh, wide, and it just sort of grinds up the rock, all the basalt that goes into a, 
a waste a waste dump and when they hit this conglomerate and that's the purpose of the scout drilling because yeah. one of the things that that this this the basement topography is not this wonderful flat uniform thing it does have mm-hmm. pockets it undulates uh, so you're going to see see depth variation and uh, knowing exactly where your uh, conglomerate bed is and then getting a sample just from the conglomerate bed because the basalt will have absolutely nothing in it all, almost all the rock above these beds is absolutely worthless which is why this conglomerate uh, gold hosted uh, bearing conglomerate has been overlooked uh, by by everybody because uh, nobody realized that it would be right at the base the unconformity between the really ancient Pilbara and this uh Ro basalt that this uh, fantastic potential trove of gold nuggets formed if this precipitation theory that Quentin Hennig talks about turned out to be correct and if it is correct it would have taken place over a very vast region and these samples they are like whole rock analysis they're literally it's like almost mining the rock and processing it for all the gold that's in it so we will know about the fine gold component and the nugget component i noticed in this news release uh Quentin Hennig still talks about the possibility of the fine gold component. So the earlier comments he made to me about sometimes they see no fine gold, sometimes uh, they they see just nuggets, uh, sometimes fine gold and no nuggets. Uh, uh, You you need the systematic drilling, the scientific evidence to put together a statistical picture of what is going on. So we're still flying blind to a large degree, but the process is now underway so that we'll have some big answers by the end of this year uh so the end of this year probably early january or so we might start to get some assays potentially well see the steinert machine which they set up now um you know you deliver the you truck the samples to it that they can process this stuff fairly fairly quickly mm-hmm. so once they get this going remember they've got a budget of two million bucks a month I mean, yeah. this is not some little rinky-dink junior exploration program drilling a hole at some skinny little vein somewhere. This this is <laughs> a mass program. This is a statistics game, a bulk sampling statistic game that's underway. Very expensive, but we're talking about an extraordinary prize. The size of this prize is potentially off the scale. Yeah, well, you talk about the size of this prize. You were just mentioning uh, you could see 800, I think, I, if I remember what you said, 800,000 to three, 800,000 tons to 3 million tons of rock in the, in just this small area, uh, I guess. Is, is that what you said, John? Yes, yeah. yeah each, so, each, uh, each meter of thickness within this uh, footprint of 400 meters by 20 is about 200,000 uh, tons of uh tons of rock uh-huh. and so uh, you know from four meters to 15 meters that's like they're looking at a footprint of 800 to thousand to three million tons and so the question is great if they if that comes in at, at an ounce well that's pretty good i mean the cost <laughs> of stripping and processing that's going to be be very low but mm-hmm. what will really be the key thing is okay we're looking at a tiny footprint to try and understand what this is the wits 2.0 question is is this just a local freak show, something that happened here, something weird or whatever? Or is this symptomatic of what's going on over a vast region in the Pilbara? And, yeah. you know, I'm looking at the comparing the WITS 1.0 to this. The WITS 1.0, those conglomerate beds are sandwiched between uh, uh, other layers of sediments. Uh, this is really unusual here. Here, the 
gold-bearing conglomerate beds are sitting right on ancient basement. There was almost like a hundred million year of mystery as to what happened uh, between the, uh, the the formation of the uh, the basement, the crystalline basement rocks, this conglomerate, and then the uh, basalt floods, which mm-hmm. start at about 2.78 billion years ago and pretty much end this gold formation story. Yeah, interesting. Fascinating, actually, more than interesting. Uh, John, one of the things Quentin talked to me about a long time ago, even as Beaton's Creek was starting to be discovered, uh, from his study of South African uh, Whitwater's Rand Rock, uh, something he referred to as a carbon leaders, and it is a carbon associated with gold. Has he said anything to you about that uh, when you were down in Australia or, or since then? Well, when, when I was down there, uh, it was basically theory that, uh, I mean, it's observed in the Witz Waters Rand Reef that there is carbonaceous material spatially associated with the gold and uh, and there's some argument that uh, it's uh, the chemistry of the whatever it is these this algae is doing that is helping the gold uh, drop out and get fixed into mm-hmm. physical form. And, and I asked him at the time, have you seen any of this uh, uh, here in this stuff? And he's saying, well, no, it's, it's a pretty immature conglomerate. These are big rocks and, and, and the, the gold is in the sort of fine-grained sand. That's the matrix surrounding this uh, um, but he did show me a, a, a piece of carbonaceous shale, which obviously came from some sort of a, a algae, algae-type mat with uh-huh. a gold nugget stuck in it. So mm-hmm. it appears to have been present in this area. Mm-hmm. And whether we will see remnants, I mean, we, they, they showed the picture of the stromatolite, which, was a, which is a type of bacteria. Right that existed even as far back as three and a half billion billion years ago. And again, these, these, these algae things are potentially important because around this time they start engaging in photosynthesis, which is the mm-hmm. creation of oxygen. And while they do not create enough to change the atmosphere, they will create enough locally in the shallows of these seas. And, and one of the things that this news release also points out, they're pretty convinced they're dealing with a shallow near shore environment. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be higher energy. And what you need to imagine, if you believe the precipitation theory, you'll see these gold grains nucleate on something and then literally grow and they'll be sloshing around on the seafloor, the tides coming in and out twice a day and, mm-hmm. the, and the sand and, and the gravel and even the cobbles are being worked around. Um, What's interesting is we don't know what sort of sorting happens in this type of environment. Uh, when mm-hmm. you get farther downshore, uh, the sorting has, uh, has, has, has had a lot more time to put the smaller pieces with together and the bigger pieces together. Here we're seeing a whole range of stuff. And that's what's good for the fine gold theory is that uh, you know, you're not going to see just big nuggets grow. You're going to see a log normal distribution of gold crystals growing mm. And this type of environment possibly helped out by the uh, emanations from the uh, from the bacterial mats that, of course, grow in the shallows, not in the in the deeper part. And another thing to keep in mind right now, you look at the giant uh, Pilbara craton with the Hammersley Basin. It goes down to five thousand meters or so. Well, in the beginning, it wasn't that deep. The deepness of this happened later as the whole craton tilted and the weight of the material piling up after 
400, 300 million year sequence on buried it deeper and deeper so we could have a very far you know 100 kilometer plus uh, shallow uh, call it a continental shelf where it is quite shallow where you have these bacterial algae mats growing you have it replenished uh, every day twice a day by fresh seawater that's full of uh, uh, gold and other metals because the solubility is much higher due to the mm-hmm. chemistry the earth back then and you have the combination of the the algae mats in these shallows uh, uh, dropping the gold out and it's you know seeding itself onto an existing grain and and eventually it gets compacted and and they get squashed and maybe moved around a little bit more and then the the weight from burial causes that particular shape and the uh, crenulated surface to appear but the original form is was probably much more of a jaggedy edged crystalline like some of these pieces that uh, Quentin has bought from the fossicker showing crystalline gold growing in uh, in a piece of tufaceous sediment volcanic ash that has never been altered so was not hydrothermally put there hmm I'll tell you, John, it's a fascinating story. I, I, I know you believe that. It's, it's a very exciting story. But it, it, fits, it fits you like a glove, I think, in many ways, because you, you are an out-of-the-box thinker. You like to look at new stories. And I know that there's, you know, before you were into Novo, you told me about another one, Nevada Exploration. It's a company that uh, I found interesting. I never really followed up on it. Uh, a little bit like you never really followed up on Novo when I was interested in it years ago. But tell us a little bit about Nevada Exploration because they have also been making some progress, I understand. Can you give us a, a take about three minutes here, John, to tell us about Nevada Exploration? If you can do it three, if you have to have two more, we'll uh, we'll take that time away from Eric Coffin, who's following you. But give us a little update on a, a little uh, a brief overview of Nevada Explorations and a little bit of what might have happened more recently. Um, to that to that program well nevada exploration developed this technology of measuring groundwater for gold in addition to the other toxics Uh, and groundwater has been a tool going back to the 50s and 60s that works for copper but the problem with gold is gold is so dilute in water today that the technology could not measure it but that changed 15 years ago so this company has been in nevada and, and you, you know, the reason I was such a sucker for this uh, Novo story and the science and all that behind it was because in the case of Nevada Exploration, we have a combination of new methodology to look under the gravels of Nevada, but mm-hmm. also relatively new theories about why is there so much gold in Nevada? 400 mm-hmm. million ounces, uh, much of it medium to high grade, found since the, uh, since the 70s. And the thing is, Nevada has this basin range topography where 15 million years ago, it got stretched apart. So the mountains popped up, the valleys dropped down. And because the gold was put in between 40 and 30 million years ago, half of it conceivably is obscured, artificially buried under this gravel, which Mm -hmm. the groundwater technology goes. Now, what's fascinating from a science point of view, there's a professor called John Montine who has come up with this elaborate theory as to how about 60, 70 million years ago, a slab subducting underneath the North American con- continent stalled and sat there for 30 million years dehydrating and all these metals get stripped out of this, basically it's an ocean plate slab and mm-hmm. end up in these brines pooled underneath the crust 
And then about 40 million years ago, this slab starts to fail, found or literally sink into the earth, releasing energy, which it's like Niagara Falls going from the northeast corner of Nevada, retreating all the way down to where the Walker Lane is, and literally uh, pushing these brines that have soaked up all this gold and other metals, forcing them through the caps and into the sponges that have been prepared. So it, it's, a, it's an elaborate geological theory. It explains why is there so much gold. And then this idea of, well, this artificial stretching and hiding half of this gold endowment underneath the gravels. And this little junior coming along with this method, it's collected 6,000 samples. They've developed a new tool, the Scorpion Rig to um, better assess the uh, groundwater values in three dimensions. Uh, they spent all year in the Kelly Creek Basin area testing it. Uh, they think they've outlined a structurally controlled gold system, which will require some, some drilling now. They're moving it to Grass Valley South, which is at the southern end of a 40-kilometer valley, Grass Valley at the northern end. They have an anomaly too. And, and, the, and the bias in Nevada is the the gold's all on these northwest-southeast structures, uh, Battle Battle Mountain trend, Carlin trend, Cortez Hill trend. But Barrick just staked a 25-kilometer by 5-kilometer corridor in Carrico Valley, which is parallel to the west of Grass Valley and heads southwest. So mm. clearly, they don't think it's this this uh, northwest-southeast structural control anymore. And the uh. nice about Grass Valley is the junior has already sampled the whole valley and they don't own the middle part because there's nothing there. They're literally using exploration technology to identify anomalies coming from hidden deposits, buried deposits, blind deposits. And that's where you're going to find stuff in the future. Even in, in Australia, in a sense, this this uh, uh, pre pre-Mount uh, Royal Basalt conglomerate bed mm -hmm. is blind except for this tiny little ribbon. And nobody, even when they, the, the big guys drill these deep holes, they never bothered assaying it because, well, gold could, plaster gold could never accumulate in yeah. quantities <laughs> in this garbage rock. So yeah. I love Nevada Exploration Inc. And Jay, this one's for you. I've been with this for six, seven years. It's yeah. crashed and burned, but it's come back to life. Uh, yeah. My Some of my subscribers hate me for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's your subscribers, and you've never heard of this one. Here's my gift back to you. This one is oh. not never going to be as big as uh, as what I think Novo is going to be in, in Australia. But, uh, you know, if they end up finding 5, 10, 20 million ounce systems such as Cortez Hills, Pipeline, Twin Creeks, Carlin, in Nevada, sure. this method, well, you're still looking at some very substantial. Oh, amen to that. Amen to that. Well, 52 million shares at 42 cents Canadian, giving it a market cap of 22 million. Very, very small company. And obviously, if they, if they hit on something significant, big upside there, John. Thank you so much. We're out of time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Uh, we'll have to do it more often. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to commercial break. When we come back, Eric Coffin will be with us. He has some uh, very interesting exploration stories to tell you as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Eric Coffin. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. 
Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSR. RPF, respectively. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Eric Coffin with me once again. Uh, Eric uh, is the editor of the HRA family of publications. He can be reached at hrapublishers-mgmt.com or go to the website. It's uh, hraadvisory.com, hraadvisory.com. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thanks for having me, Jay. And uh, really glad that you could come so shortly before the uh, the next Metals Investor Forum, which will be held uh, in Vancouver on November 10th and 11th. And I would suggest to my listeners, go to J. Taylor Media, J-A-Y Taylor Media, click on the Metals Investor Forum uh, banner there and just name and email address and you're off and you'll be assured a place at the, uh, at the show. It is limited space. It's free, but it's limited space, and there are some people who have tried to get in in the past and couldn't because they just can't facilitate more than so many people. Uh, Eric, how are things shaping up for the next MIF? Uh, they're uh, looking pretty good. Uh, we've got uh, pretty strong uh, RSVPs already, and I've, I've just barely started inviting subscribers and stuff myself. Yeah. Uh, already got a pretty strong company lineup. I think there'll be a lot of uh, I think there'll be a lot of interesting stories. There are a lot of guys with advanced stuff, but there's also a number of there's a number of good exploration stories that are going to be there from from me, from John, from Glenn, um, yeah. Jordan, bringing a couple. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's look at a couple of your exploration stories. Uh, a couple of them that I have in my letter and I like a lot: Almadex Minerals to start with, with the El Cobre yeah. project in Mexico. And that trades around Canadian $1.19, 48.2 million shares. Uh, boy, that looks like they're on to another discovery, this little, this team of father-son team, right? 
Yeah, and they've certainly, uh, Dwayne and Morgan, Dwayne being the father, Morgan the son, they've, they've had their share of them. And they spun this company out from the original Almadex, which is still around, or Almaden, rather, which is still around, mm-hmm. because they made a discovery in that company, uh, the Extaca gold-silver project, which is sort of at feasibility stage, and they spun the exploration stuff into Almadex. They've been drilling now for about a year, over a year, I guess, at, at El Cobre, and they've They've been drilling a, a lot at the north end at a at an area called Norte. Not surprisingly, they've they've generated a lot of really nice looking high grade porphyry holes. They're like gram gram and a half average over say 100 150 meters with within yeah. bigger interceptions. The geometry is not the easiest to figure out. To be honest, I mean I, I think the I think that higher grade zone looks like it's I don't know 40 or 50 60 million tons, which is which is a pretty nice start. I don't know if it would be a mine if it was totally by itself, but it, in this case it isn't. They've got seven or eight targets, and the one that I'm I'm probably the most excited about is the one they're drilling now, which is called Rea Tim, Timbrillo. Uh, they've never drilled there before, neither has anyone else. It's a very big target area, but they very recently found outcrop where they didn't actually think there was any. Uh, some new guys went in, did a bit of mapping, They've done a bunch of surface sampling. They're getting long stretches of gram, gram and a half gold. Uh, these are porphyries. They usually have copper, but you don't usually get copper at surface. It leaches out. But that's a really, really exciting-looking target, and that's where they're drilling right now, and that's why I wanted them to come to MIF. And actually, Joe Mazundar invited them to MIF as well. Um, oh, they're also following yeah. the stock because of that target. Yeah, well, it's an exciting target, and they, they have they have quite a few uh, targets there, I think, at the uh, El Cobre. They've got several. I mean, Norte, you can already tell they're going to have a resource at Norte. I don't know how big it'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two or three other targets in this. this The area that, that Rayo Timbrillo is part of, that's actually a very large-scale target. It's like two by three kilometers. Most of it, there's no outcrop. Uh, but uh, the last time I talked to Morgan recently, he said they had they had really have guys bushwhacking now that they found some outcrop. And he said they have found more of these outcrops with the sheeted veins in them, you know, half a kilometer, kilometer south of, of rail. They don't know whether they're connected or they're separate. But, you know, the point is they seem to keep coming up with more and more targets. The other thing that, that Almadex has, which is worth mentioning, because a lot of people love royalty deals, Almadex does have royalties on several of the projects that were originally discovered by the father and son team, including mm-hmm. Xstaca, that's a, that's a feasibility, and also a, a company, a, a project called um, uh, Cerro Blanco, which is just to the northeast of uh, El Cobre. It used to be part of the same property, and that, that project is also in development. They're just getting ready to apply for mining permits on that, and they have royalties on both of those in Helmedex, so... And I don't think the royalties get valued at all. They're they're kind of yeah I agree with you. They're kind of a of a project generator kind of a company, but they focus on on something that looks like it really has promise. And then they have their own drill rigs, don't they? So they're they keep their costs down dramatically. They keep the number of shares down very well. They're I mean it's just an extremely well com- run company. I think. Oh yeah, I mean they're very very you know the very high end professional guys. They've They've done a great job at actually buying drills, training crews really well, so they've got really talented drill crews because I've seen other companies buy drills, and frankly, most of the time it ends badly. In their yeah. case, it's, it's been great because they've got all these great drill crews, and they're probably drilling for 
I don't know, 20 or 30 bucks a meter, which is a fraction of what other companies are paying. Right. right. Yeah, well, this is certainly one of my favorites, no doubt about it. I own it personally as well. Uh, Vendetta Mining Corp, another one that I own. I, it's uh, The share price has been a bit disappointing, but they seem to be doing good work. Things seem to be coming along very well, Eric. Tell us about Vendetta, their zinc, Vendetta, uh, lead zinc project well, in Australia. Yeah, I mean, Vendetta I really like because it's a, it's a lead zinc project. Uh, the last resource they put out showed, if you're assuming a million tons a year mining, probably 10 years of open pit mine life. And it's the open pit part that was a surprise. They actually expected most of this to be underground. But it turns out they've got a lot more near-surface resource than they, than they expected. If, if, you, if you look across a, a whole set of lead-zinc deposits, you, you'd kind of go, well, 5% lead-zinc, big whoop. It's, it's the fact that it's open pit that counts. Um, to yeah. me, this looks like very high-margin stuff. They did put out a release this morning that I, I think helps explain some of the weird trading because it has been weird lately. Um, it seems to be boxed into this small price range in the mid-20s. They mentioned this morning that, one, a new a new shareholder has arrived, and it's, one, it's actually a very large base metal mining company in China that mm. bought the warrants from one of their existing warrant holders and exercised them. And oh. they also mentioned that Solitario, one of their other big shareholders, that just exercised their warrants. Basically, 25 million of the 50 million warrants that were floating around have been exercised now. And I, I oh. think some of the trading that we're seeing is one guy's doing crosses and two guys selling to exercise warrants. I think that's mm. why you've seen all this volume, but the price isn't going anywhere. I think that's what it is. Mm. And it's, to me, anything that gets rid of the warrants is a good thing. That release also mentioned the fact that they're up. I think the whole number they're at now, I think there's something like 20 or 25 holes in the lab. And they're about to start drilling this copper currency on the property that was kind of a surprise. They've only got one hole in it, and they're not, they're not making a big deal out of it. But they, they did do geophysics. Um, the target's actually fairly large, so they're going to give it a shot. If they do find any significant amount of copper resource there, that really opens things up. I mean, I've stuck my neck out on this thing already and, and said I don't think it's around by the middle of next year. I think I think there's a high probability this one gets taken out because it's right in the middle of a lead zinc mining camp. There's majors all around it. Right. And uh, in need of ore, I guess. Yeah. No, no, these, one of the ones, the one to the south, they've basically run out. Um, and that one, which is Chinova, they happen to be, their mill happens to be perfectly suited to this copper ore if this copper turns out to be something, if there's even a couple million tons of it, I think, I, I think, frankly, the probability would be high that Chernobyl would pull the trigger because it would be it would be perfect for them. And the guys to the north, South 32, which runs the Osborne operation, um, their their mine is very similar material to the main lead zinc zones. And in fact, um, I think they consulted a little bit with Vendetta when they did their metallurgy because Vendetta wanted to make sure. The process they use in their mill was the same process they were using to test the metallurgy, which which had good results. I mean, they got they got good lead zinc concentrates. So, I mean, they're 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 very aware of the fact they're surrounded by majors. Eric, um, I I want to ask you about you know what what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts on zinc right now? You know, I know you've made a point that the zinc bull markets generally tend don't tend not to last too long. Uh, and one of the reasons you like Vendetta because it could have a project that would be ready to take advantage of a short zinc, you know, window for a bull market. Uh, what are your yep. thoughts now? Because I want to ask you also about Fireweed Zinc, another another company that you I, like. I, I do think this one's going to be. I think this one will be longer than the last one. 
I mean, uh, you know, we're still in that uncertain period where the zinc price has moved a lot. It went up to a dollar fifty in the last couple of weeks, then got actually a whack back five or six cents just today. Uh, zinc invent the official zinc visible zinc inventories are at near critical levels. We're just above ten days um, consumption. Last time we had a really crazy run, and back in 2007, it it basically started when we dipped below 10 days consumption. I don't, I just don't see a lot on on the horizon when you look at the pipeline of things that can come on stream. So I, I think actually, unlike 2007, and we're already at a buck forty, buck fifty, so we're well into a bull market. I think this one could actually last. This one could last two or three years rather than sort of being up for six months and then boom, back for six months. I think this one's going to last longer than that. And I think the the price, when it's over, the base price is actually going to be, you know, it's not going to go back to 70 or 80 cents. I think it goes back to like a dollar ten or a dollar twenty. There's just there's just not much in the pipeline to fill to fill needs over the next three or four years. What were the highs in the last bull market, more or less? Two bucks a pound, basically. How much? It hit two bucks a pound in the last one. Oh, okay. Over. All right. Okay. Uh, All yeah. right. So you know, I, I think there's still like I, I, I won't be surprised at all if it hits two bucks a pound again. I mean mm-hmm. that that would be my expectation. All right. That would probably bring some supply onto the market. I suppose that wouldn't otherwise well, yeah, be there. The thing we don't know whether there's we just don't know whether there's stuff out there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the question mark. Is there's always in terms of official supplies, we're just over ten days. The question mark, with, and this is the same for all base metals, there's always stuff that isn't in official warehouses. And that's what, and we have seen a bit, we've seen 5,000 tons a day here, 5,000 tons a day there for the last two weeks. And that's sort of what I've been really watching for is, does this move to a buck fifty, pull a whole bunch into the warehouses? It's brought in a little bit, but not much so far. Mm-hmm. And there, mm-hmm. there may simply not be as much of the stuff lying around as people think. All right, Eric, uh, a couple more companies we want to ask you about. Firewood Zinc, while we're on the topic of zinc. Um, yes, yeah, so they only 17.8 million shares, 75 cents, really low market cap. Um, what, what can you tell us about Fireweed Zinc? Fireweed has got a, a, a project called the McMillan Pass up in the Yukon. And on McMillan Pass, there are two separate lead zinc deposits. They're very nice resources. They're, they actually just finished a drill program. And the, the main reason behind that program, some of it's metallurgical samples, but it was mainly so that they could upgrade the historical resource and be able to officially report it. The historic resource is about, between the two deposits, it's about 30 million tons at, uh, I think it's about 8 or 9% combined lead zinc, uh, more oh, zinc uh-huh. than lead. And what's what I've, what's interesting about it as a Yukon project, and obviously you say Yukon, people realize, okay, it's it's up there. It is. There is a road to this project, which not many projects in the Yukon can say. And it's also got uh, it's got some very high grade zones within this larger resource. Uh, I, I think their plan is to get a forty three one one done before the end of this year, come up with a resource, and then immediately go to doing a PEA. And it's not that they think they found everything they can find. They just realize that people are going to look at look at the location of the Yukon and go, oh, well, you know, that's just not going to work. So they want to put out a PA to show, you know, here's some numbers. We think this will work. I think it. I mean, I think it. Say a buck ten, a buck fifteen lead zinc prices went so well below where lead zinc is right now. I, I think this thing still probably puts out twenty or thirty percent IRR. Um, current no. zinc prices quite a bit higher, and it's because of the grade. 
because of the grade and the size. I mean, there, there aren't many 30 million ton uh, mm-hmm. lead zinc of deposits around with these kind of grades that weren't bought by a major years ago. And yeah. if this was, if I thought this was a six month zinc cycle, I'd, I'd probably be less likely to, to follow it. But because I do think this is going to be a long zinc cycle, I think mm-hmm. these guys will have the time. And like you said, with the with the incredibly tight share structure they have, their their market cap's twelve million. Um, they're, yeah. they're way undervalued compared to peers. Yeah, twelve million Canadian. I might tell our listeners. Just, so they really haven't started marketing yet. So I mean, it, it only listed like three months ago. So not that many people know about it. But I, I think they're going to. Yeah. That's the other reason to be sort of get on it is because I think they're going to change that. They, they've told me they're going to they're going to get serious about marketing and get out there and talk about it. Well, yeah, you've got to do a certain amount of that, that's for sure. All right, with the, with just about four minutes left here, we got a couple more companies. I'd like to ask you about Adamera Resources, which is one that I that I own. It's in my newsletter. What are your thoughts on that? Adamera's had a <laughs> Adamera's had a tough summer. I mean, it's it's a stock that I've been a pretty big proponent of. Uh, I'm a big fan of Marco Lababa that runs it. Um, they're they're working on a large large project in Northeast Washington. Uh, they did a, a huge airborne survey last year. They've been doing field work all summer. They've drilled two or three targets without a huge amount of joy yet, but they do have a large, large number of targets yet. They're still working through permitting with the Forest Service, which is not famous for being fast, uh, but it sounds like they're going to get permits for some of their favorite targets soon. But the, the most interesting thing, I think, is after a couple of months of being very quiet, they started getting news out again. This morning's news I thought was particularly interesting because they, they noted that they drilled a hole near uh, Overlook, and Overlook is a past-producing mine that's sort of within their claim group. And uh, management noted that they had sent assays out on a rush basis, and the way that works is if you want rush assays, you basically pay the lab twice the usual price, and they put you at the front of the line. Uh, Mark Colababa, if you know him as well as I do, you'd know he's an incredibly frugal guy. They've got a huge amount of work done for very little money. If Mark is rushing something, he thinks there's something in that hole. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. I don't know if there is at the gold property. We'll find out when the assays come back. But Mark's not the kind of guy that throws money around. So if he's rushing assays, they they saw something they like. All right. They'll be at the uh, at the Metals Investor Forum. Vendetta will be there. Fireweed Zinc will be there, I believe. Am I, have I got that right? Yeah. Almadex? Yeah, Almadex. Vendetta, is, Vendetta, I'm not 100% not on, sure. but I think the other yeah. guys will all be there. Yeah, I know okay. the other guys will be. All right, Eric, with just a minute or so left here, what about GoldQuest? Uh, did they come out with some news today? Yeah, they put out some more Kachimbo results. Kachimbo is a, is a VMS sort of in the southern southern end of their property. It's just north of the Ginger Ridge area on the on the precipitate property. Yes. Uh, they put out a, a, a set of holes. I'm, I, I can't honestly say they've got this thing figured out yet, and I think they'd be the first to tell you that. But they just put out, they did just put in another uh, very strong-looking hole. Um, they're, they're getting this high-grade gold. It seems to be in the barite, which is kind of strange, but I'm mm. not sure how that works. But that's that's just how it is at Kachimbo. And this morning's hole was uh, 59 meters of 3.3 grams, including 21 meters of 10 grams. Pretty nice, nice. hole. Oh, yeah. we better keep our eyes on that one then. Uh, Eric, we're out of time, unfortunately. John took too much of it. Oh. But um, <laughs> thank you so that's much okay. for being we'll, with we'll us, we'll and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Metals Investor Forum. Uh, and uh, folks, you you want to pay attention to what Eric has to say. He's going to be there. He'll be talking 
And those companies that I just mentioned will be there along with some of my own uh, recommendations as well. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Richard Mayberry, uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us uh, to talk about noble resources and Richard Mayberry or John Rubino. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.